Welcome to the Sanctuary Life Podcast, where we take you through a day in the life of animal rescues and sanctuaries across the country. Whether you are an experienced sanctuary staffer, one of the countless volunteers who works so hard at sanctuaries each day, or someone who just loves animals, we hope this journey can give you a behind-the-scenes peek into just what it takes to live the sanctuary life. Now, here's your host, Brandon Feisner, co-founder of Louisville, Kentucky's Butterfly Valley Rescue and Sanctuary. On today's episode, we are joined by three amazing individuals who are making a difference every single day for animals across the country. Joining me is Andrea Davis, director of Broken Shovels Farm Sanctuary near Denver, Colorado. Sawyer Kane, co-founder of Foreverland Farm near Cincinnati, Ohio. And Megan Dibble, co-founder of Herd and Flock Animal Sanctuary in Vacaville, California. As a group, we will discuss some of the most pressing issues related to the highly pathogenic avian influenza or H5N1 outbreak that is currently racing across our country. As of this week, there were 29 states with poultry outbreaks and more than 33 million poultry affected. And those staggering numbers do not even include the number of wild uh, birds that have suffered at the fate of this virus. In the state of Iowa alone during the month of March, outbreaks at two commercial egg laying facilities led to the death of more than 10.3 three million chickens. This outbreak, which first appeared in the U.S. in January of this year, is affecting wild aquatic birds, commercial poultry, and backyard and hobbyist flocks, and is obviously on the mind of sanctuary leaders across the country as they look to ensure the safety of their feathered friends. During the last avian influenza outbreak in the U.S., which lasted from December 2014, Until June uh, 2015, approximately 7.4 million turkeys and more than 43 million egg-laying chickens were infected by avian influenza and died from the disease or were euthanized as part of the response. In response to the current outbreak, we've seen a variety of changes implemented at animal rescues and sanctuaries throughout the country in in order to protect their feathered residents. From limiting visitation to PPE to lockdowns, many of the precautions that we are currently seeing at these facilities mimic the same kind of precautions that humans experienced all across the country over the last two years in response to COVID. However, even the numbers from COVID, which gripped our country, leading to more than 81 million cases and 990,000 deaths, are minimal in comparison to the number of deaths that our chickens, ducks, turkeys, geese, and other feathered friends are experiencing during the current H5N1 flu outbreak. So I believe that Andrea has joined us. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Awesome. Thank you. I'm so glad you were able to make it. Yes, me too. Um, so going to put you on a spot just a bit here uh, since you're, you're able to be with us. Can you tell us just a bit about uh, Broken Shovels Farm Sanctuary and what uh, other uh, poultry or waterfowl species do you currently house there? Uh, yes, we um, 
we are a multi-species sanctuary. So um, we actually started as a goat dairy and closed the dairy five years ago to become a sanctuary. Um, so for birds, we have um, ducks and geese for waterfowl. And we have um, chickens, guinea fowl, peacocks, turkeys, quail, pigeons. Um, gosh, I think that's everybody. <laughs> and I think you've just about hit all that's out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just about everybody. Yes. Um, Sawyer, can you tell us just a bit about uh, Foreverland Farm and what uh, species you all currently house there? Sure. Yeah. So similar to broken shovels and I know also herd and flock, um, we're multi-species. Um, so we have, you know, just about every type of, uh, animal that's typically farmed, um, and exploited for that reason. Um, for birds, our, our birds, we have ducks, turkeys, and chickens. Awesome. Yeah. And Megan, can you tell us just a bit about uh, Herd and Flock Animal Sanctuary and what species you all currently have? Sure. We, uh, in addition to chickens and guinea fowl, we have uh, cows and goats and um, pigs, big pigs, little pigs. Oh, all the pigs. But I know, we're pigs. <laughs> I know we're talking about chickens and turkeys and geese. We've fostered many of those uh, feathered friends, but in permanent residence here right now, we have about 45 chickens and four, sorry, 45 chickens and about four guinea fowl who are not enjoying the current situation. I can only imagine. Um, so to kind of get started on our discussion today, we will, uh, we'll begin with Andrea and I know that uh, Colorado, where you all are located there, recently had a trio of, of outbreaks, including an outbreak of uh, more than 58,000 birds at a, at a commercial broiler uh, facility there. With cases getting closer to broken shovels, I know that you all have some pretty big plans in progress uh, to protect your, uh, your feathered friends there. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that massive project that you've been working on to make sure that they stay north at your new uh, Broken Shovels North Campus? Yes, absolutely. Um, so we are, our, our property is, is sort of like a little island in the middle of these gigantic reservoirs. And uh, those reservoirs bring all sorts of uh, wild, wild waterfowl species, um, you know, just about any any wild waterfowl species that is in Colorado is here, um, but the mallard ducks have really taken a shine to our place, and so um, on any given day before this all happened, we we had oh gosh, so, sometimes sixty to a hundred mallards hanging out. Um, unfortunately, that is the main species that it was found here in Colorado. And um, the state vet's office has let our little sanctuary group know that um, the backyard cases that they've had so far are those that were not using biosecurity and were um, exposed to mallards. So um, it became more of an emergency at that point, um, more so than just keeping birds inside. Um, and, you know, we actually are a very large population of birds. So keeping everyone inside, you know, we ordered sheds that we could cut windows out of and, and cover with hardware cloth and, and all of the recommended things. 
Um, but we felt like even walking around, even with PPE, even the best we could do, we could not keep them safe here. Um, so we, we took an opportunity to get um, some land that is nowhere near a water source, uh, very low exposure to wild birds. And um, so what we did was, you know, in this time that we've kept everyone indoors, um, and we even made a priority to keep them on wood floors um, because we didn't want rodents tracking anything in. Um, so we wanted them to be able to experience dirt. And I know there's lots of, of sanctuary caretakers out there that are noticing how difficult it is for these birds to be off dirt. Um, so we put together these runs that are completely covered in tarps on top, um, gives everybody adequate space to be in the dirt. Um, and we're having to, to then wrap those with um, a product that we found that's actually used to carry um, when they crush cars and they don't want the debris falling off. Um, so all of the runs are being wrapped in that material that will keep the, the wild birds from coming in and out. Um, with this new location, you know, we also anticipate at least to get started a, a very low rodent population. So tracking things in. Um, not a lot of wild birds, not in the migratory paths, not near the. We're feeling a lot safer. I know no one is 100% safe. Um, and, you know, Adams County here is is lots of big commercial um, egg laying and, and broiler farms um, here where we are. So getting out of this county and getting into a place that is a little less um large agriculture oriented, we, we're feeling, we're feeling a little more comfortable, but you know, no one ever feels a hundred percent comfortable. Wow. That is quite the undertaking um, to open an entirely new sanctuary space, kind of completely on the fly, unexpectedly without much preparation there. Um, how far is it from your all's current location to, to your new North location? Um, 40, uh, Close to an hour, 45 minutes. Wow. Hour, depending on, depending on traffic. Um, yeah, we, <laughs> we did, we, we had to get a ways away um, to, to get this kind of, I mean, it's kind of a jewel of a location in, in the exposure or, or the lack of exposure that we think we're, we're finding there. Yes. Awesome. No, that is, that is quite the, uh, quite the project there. Uh, but love to love to hear what what you all are willing to do to to keep them safe and hoping that that others can find similar ways. Um, Sawyer, one of the really cool things uh, with her talking about the birds obviously being off of dirt at times and um, needing to have that that enrichment uh, that that they miss so much being able to be outdoors. One of the really cool things I saw Foreverland Farms recently doing was that one of your caretakers made. Uh, herb boxes for your chickens yes. Um, yes. and and just filling them with various herbs that not only gave them that enrichment in lockdown but also provided them uh, some health benefits and gave them just variety in their diet can you tell me just a little more about them and and a really cool fundraiser you all are trying to do to get more of them yeah um so it's a uh, we're just desperately trying to keep them entertained um a big problem, it, I mean, all, there's not one single problem with all of this, right? It's all a nightmare. Um, but 
the a lot of the birds, right, that all three of us, all four of us care for um, at our sanctuaries, every sanctuary cares for, they're all, they all have been made to get as large as possible. And a huge, huge hindrance for their health is a lack of mobility, um, right? So we have one broad-breasted broad white turkey named Jane. I'm obsessed with her. Uh, she's got one eye and a cross beak. She's hilarious. She cuddles. Um, but she has to walk or she will lose her ability to um, if we don't manage her diet and things like that. So we've just been finding ways to get them things to do that are healthy. Um, we have put wheelbarrows in their runs so that um, birds like Jane, um, all of our we, we don't have a Cornish in our care at the moment, which is what you guys have been calling broilers. Um, so keeping birds like that out of the feed um, and limiting their intake and monitoring their special diet, things like that are very important. So the herb boxes were just a creative way for us to give them something to do, something to peck around in, um, as well as getting some, some vitamins and nutrients. Um, it costs about 30 bucks to put one together. We have 10 different flocks here of varying sizes. Um, and people, they, the birds can't bebop around from flock to flock like they like to do. Um, so, you know, it's just a way to keep them from being bored and, and have some fun. That is awesome. Are, do you all have any other uh, enrichment activities that you are either currently using or kind of looking towards using to kind of keep them busy? I know I love the idea of of using wheelbarrows and that to put food in to kind of be able to separate some of the species and things like that. Yeah. So we have, oh my gosh, we have so many things. Um, Amazon is actually, I mean, I'm no huge fan of Amazon, but they have really amazing uh, toys and things like that. So we've got xylophones, we've got swings, uh, we've got mirrors. They, that birds really love to peck at mirrors and, and things like that. As long as it's not the only enriching thing that they have to do, it can kind of drive them, drive them crazy if they do that. But, um, oh goodness. Yeah. Just, just toys and, and things like that. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's, I think those are some good tips. Um, Megan, now let's talk about uh, what actions you all are taking uh, each and every day at at Herd and Flock Animal Sanctuary to protect your residents? I know that uh, PPE became a hot topic throughout the country over the last two years due to COVID, uh, but most people don't understand the important role that that has now taken in protecting our sanctuary residents during um, an outbreak such as this. What are your current protocols related to uh, to PPE and uh, what other ways are you protecting your flock? Hey, I am never going to complain again about setting up space after listening to you two. This is so inspiring. All right. Um, you know, I think like everyone, I saw that this was happening and thought, really? Do I have to do this? And so I just really took a deep dive and just watched every webinar, seminar, read all the biosecurity things. And what we've decided to do for us is we have everyone enclosed. Uh, we're using aluminum screen cloth to keep out birds. So uh, we have a couple of barn spaces that we're using for our foster program that we've now stopped 
for the time being so our flocks can be in there. And we've created these boxes right outside uh, their spaces. Uh, and inside we have a sheet of brown paper that we put down on the ground. Um, on top of that, then we can put our you know, inside shoes or as we step out of our boots, we can step onto the paper and put on some booties, um, whatever, um, whoever's doing the barn that day or that particular flock's cleanup or um, care can put on booties, sanitize the hands, of course. And then when things get really serious, we also have gloves, masks, and Tyvek suits or something similar that we can put on. I just can't imagine how I would feel if I somehow tracked in something, you know? And so I just, we're prepared for all, I, I think we're prepared for just about every contingency without having, you know, one of those lab um, clean rooms. Yes. And it's, it's interesting that you say uh, and discussed how, how bad you would feel. And I know that that's something that all of us in, in the sanctuary world, uh, can a hundred percent agree with knowing that, that it was actions that we took or, or I guess lack of actions that we took, um, that could have led to, um, to illness with our animals is all something that we take very seriously. Um, and, and I know that in, in some of my research for this episode, it was interesting that this, uh, the most recent outbreak in 2014, 2015 was actually primarily spread between flocks by, humans that that kind of unknowingly uh, were not taking proper precautions and, and were the reason that 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 was primarily spread um, to where at least so far, and, and we're going to keep our fingers crossed that it stays this way, uh, that has not been the primary case with, with this one. Um, it's primarily in this, in this outbreak been migratory birds, which leads to its own challenges, obviously. Um, but I think a lot of that comes to, to like you said, understanding uh, PPE and, and understanding the precautions you can take. And I think the last two years have kind of been a, a blessing in disguise for preparing us for something like this and knowing the steps that we have to take. Um, with that said, and PPE being in such a, such a high demand and still such a hot commodity in the communities and in the hospitals, and have you had difficulty getting access to the necessary PPE and the things that, that you need? I, I personally haven't. Um, you know, if this had happened a year and a half ago, yeah, I think we'd all be in a serious heap of trouble. But, um, you know, I, I feel like it's much more accessible now. I'm, you know, not ordering from, um, you know, places where maybe medical um, institutions might be ordering, you know, it's, it's, um, although who knows exactly where they order, but you know, there are certain companies like Uline, I don't know how nationwide they are, but they have so many resources, um, available and prices that are fairly, you know, reasonable. Um, so instead of going the Amazon route, for instance, um, trying to find, uh, other, distributors. Um, although, you know, we get plenty of stuff from Amazon too, um, mm -hmm. as, as we all do. But I, you know, one thing I, I wanted to mention is we decided specifically not to do a foot bath situation. And, um, that was the kind of our go-to thing. Cause we, we'd always heard about it. And I'm curious what Sawyer and you and Andrea think, because 
you know, in terms of a foot bath, we wouldn't stand in that foot bath for 10 minutes, you know, before going in. We, you know, having to make sure it's exactly the right um, uh, dilution and having to make sure that it's refreshed frequently and that you're not wearing shoes, the tread that you tracked across the farm. So we, we've, we've decided definitely not to do a foot bath going into the barns. And I'm wondering what um, y'all think about that. Well, yeah. We, and I, go ahead. We also aren't um, doing a foot bath. Um, a lot of the folks I've seen doing them are using a chemical that's not proven to, to even disinfect or kill um, HPAI. Um, and I think similar to when folks were like wearing gloves to the grocery store, it makes you a little overly confident that you're safe um, and less mindful of where you're stepping with the booties. Did I change my booties? You know, less aware of those. Did I wash my hands? Those kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, effectiveness and, of course, the making sure we're mindful of our uh biosecurity steps uh, is why we chose not to do it as well. And um, I, I can uh, mirror that sentiment that um, we, we were not comfortable using foot baths. Um, this is also a, a, a water loving um, virus. And so we didn't want to be tracking things around. So we did put things like hand washing stations near all of the different flocks at the entries um, that we happen to have on hand for our public events here, which was great. Um, but definitely the, the foot bath, we had some concerns and I, as I said, I'm from the dairy industry. So I came from um, an industry, you know, the cheese making and milk handling where we do use all of those chemicals. I'm, I'm pretty used to those um, and they are very fallible. And again, just like you said, not getting that confidence that walking through a foot bath was going to clean it. We, we focus more on, um, you know, wearing boot covers, having different boots, um, you know, and we still continue to wear PPE, actually full PPE when we're working with the waterfowl, because that's the one species where um, they can be carrying it, but not, not showing any symptoms. So we, we continue to do our waterfowl flock completely separate from the chickens. So they're done last and we wear full PPE when, when we're in there. Um, and, and that will probably continue until we know this has gone away. Um, uh, I know not, a lot of sanctuaries don't like to share the things that they've been through, but um, this year, this past fall and winter, um, because we have, so many thousands of wild birds who join us here at the sanctuary, not just waterfowl, but little songbirds. Um, we were, we, and pigeons as well. Um, we got pox uh, back last fall in our flock and we saw how quickly it moved through, even with our best practices. Um, we got through pox and two months later we got hit with ILT. Um, we were we were close to intake at the time and none of our volunteers or caretakers here go to other sanctuaries so we you know we, working with our vet we were able to pretty much isolate it, that those came with um with the the 
songbird flocks that um, we've always welcomed. In, in fact, the feed that we feed is a soaked wild bird food. Um, and we have our own recipe, but it, it, it does, it attracts those birds. We, you know, we've always fed them. We've always been happy to. So I, I have to say we got a little preparation in, in how to handle these things and keep spread down from those two horrible experiences that we've been through this past year. Um, but it also showed us just how easy it is for things to move between flocks that have no, no shared fencing, no shared housing. Um, so it, it, sadly it prepared us. Um, and, uh, it, it was really, really difficult going through both of those things, but, um, you know, and, and I certainly, I would never, I, I will never judge any sanctuary if, if they do happen to get, um, HPAI, if they get ILT, oh, yeah. if they get Fox, um, you know, there's, there's no judgment. All of these things come to us from the industries that we're fighting against in the rescuing that we do. Um, but, uh, you know, I just have to say, even with best practices, things slip through. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they really do. And I feel for anyone who goes through any of those things, um, you know, we're trying to save birds from an industry that even after the animals are rescued, still are, are affected by the things that are happening to other birds in in captive situations. For sure. Yeah, so I hope for for your all's sake, I'm hoping for a couple of calm months. Hopefully, this summer it can kind of go away, and you all can <laughs> can have a few calm months there. And uh, one thing that talking about the the foot bats and that, and um, got to be careful where I put this out there in the world. But my my full time profession is actually in infection prevention in healthcare. Um, oh. So hearing. Uh, I love I love what I'm hearing uh, from others as far as the concerns and the reasons they're not using foot baths because they go uh, exactly in line with with the reasons to be concerned about them and and one thing we always teach in everything we do and this is literally from um, as in depth in healthcare is processing things like endoscopes and sterile instruments all the way to to again uh, hand hygiene and and things like foot baths and such is that you have to clean before you can disinfect or sanitize. And with with foot baths, you don't really have again, unless you have uh, toothbrushes and other things out there that you are kind of scrubbing and making sure that there is no dirt, no debris, no nothing of any kind on the shoes. The the effects of the foot bath would be very limited in the ability to kill any uh, any uh, pathogens that may be there um, on your footwear and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that like you all, some of you all were talking about it as far as like tread on shoes and things like that all lead to, to additional ways and, and make it much that much more difficult to, um, to make sure that, that you are not exposing um, your animals to any, to any outside pathogens and uh, great, great discussion there. And I think that's something that a lot of people definitely need to, to think about and, um, I know one of the biggest, everyone talked about hand hygiene and I, that's, that is one of the biggest recommendations, um, from, from the CDC, from OSHA, as far as just from, uh, general, uh, individuals again, like, like back, whether it's backyard flocks or whether it's sanctuaries, people that are, that are just handling, um, 
birds at this time, the, the number one recommendation for them is, is hand hygiene, both to prevent the spread amongst um, the birds and to prevent the spread to the potential spread to humans, um, which although unlikely in, in this particular um, virus is, is still a concern, especially with what has kind of gone on the last, the last two years. Um, one thing that, uh, that I'm sure everyone not, not super familiar with the virus has on their mind, um, and those listening may not know, know as, or may not be as, as in depth of the virus as, as what some of us on the call are is, is what are the signs and symptoms of the avian flu, uh, and what to look for. Um, and just so that, that those out there that may be listening, uh, know, um, I mean, those range from obviously the kind of the worst being worst being sudden death, um, lack of energy, appetite, uh, lack of energy, appetite, and coordination, uh, purple uh, or other discoloration, swelling of various body parts, um, diarrhea, nasal discharge, coughing, sneezing, and then reduced egg production or abnormal eggs, um, which as as you can hear is a pretty uh, it's a pretty awful, uh, pretty awful virus for these birds, and um, and and if you have any birds, anyone that's listening that that ever exhibit any of these uh, clinical signs of HPAI, um, or you think might have been exposed to birds with with the disease, um, just make sure that you immediately notify either your local, state, or federal health officials so that. Um, they can follow up on that and, and help us limit um, this outbreak as much as as much as possible. Um, this virus is spread uh, in the feces and, and respiratory secretions of infected birds. Um, I think a great part that uh, a great thing that that Andrea mentioned earlier, and it's a great thing for us to all think about, is as we're caring for for our birds, the the like to do the waterfowl as the last thing we care for, um, separate from the others, because they do carry um, this virus, and and in most cases, especially with the mallards that are carrying us on on the migratory routes, are completely asymptomatic. Um, so you would not know um, that they have it. Um, and fortunately, we're getting into a little warmer weather uh, in most parts of the country, um, which is is hopefully going to help us kind of kill off the virus a little faster. Um, but it is a very hardy virus that that in colder uh, temperatures can survive for for days and weeks um, on on surfaces and stuff from some of those uh, fecal and respiratory secretions. And um, I know a lot of a lot of the sanctuaries that that I've talked to and I, I'm curious to hear all of you on the call. I believe that's what everyone is doing has kind of stopped um, all intake unless you had some uh, completely 100% foolproof way to separate from all other, uh, all other bird residents. Um, but the other things that, uh, that they are recommending, especially uh, for, for any of our listeners is to make sure that, that the little things that, uh, we commonly do for some of like the songbird species and things that Andrew was talking about, like putting out bird feeders and putting out bird baths and putting out things to invite those birds um, to our yards and to our areas to limit those this year, to take down the bird feeders for now, to, to remove or empty the bird baths and stuff, just to help limit the spread of, of that deadly pathogen and um, 
especially uh, for those that are in sanctuaries or those that may have backyard flocks of chickens or whatever that may be, um, because the more you're inviting um, those migratory birds and the songbirds and that to your uh, to your property, the more likely you are to expose them to uh, HPAI. So what are, what I'm curious is what are some of the other steps that you all uh, would recommend both for uh, the general public or for other sanctuaries to take? Maybe things or other ideas that you have seen, um, unique ways to house your chickens. I'll tell you one of my favorite ones I've seen um, is when sanctuaries kind of were in a pinch. I've seen a number of them now that are going out and buying tents um, that, that you can take the top off of and they have the, the mesh top to where you're not necessarily going to get um, anything in them per se. And they only open those during for brief amounts of time um, and then keep them covered otherwise. But that tent provides a very unique um, place to kind of keep the, keep the chickens and, and uh, smaller birds and keep them protected. And um, anything else that you all have seen or, or ideas you all have for, uh, for our listeners to help protect their, their flocks. So I uh, recently, not recently, about a month ago, I reached out to our, you know, backyard flock community, local backyard flock community, and started saying, hey, so there's this thing that's happening. Just want to let you know. Uh, happy to brainstorm with you. Because a lot of people that have backyard chickens, you know, they'll have a coop, but maybe they don't have like a covered aviary or, you know, resources like a whole empty barn that we can use to put all our chickens in. Um, and so some people have ignored me, which is sad. Um, maybe they won't when it becomes more crucial in California, but others have really come up with some interesting things. I love this tent idea, but people are really willing to go out there and buy, you know, tea posts and put up um, like some of these hog panels and then cover them with these translucent tarps. Uh, and so that seems to be, at least for our um, local community, that seems to be really popular. Everyone's sharing what translucent tarp that they can use to at least give a over um, a cover on the top. Yeah, and I love that you said that. One thing I saw the other day, um, and I wish I could remember which sanctuary it was that um, that did it, was they were talking about doing hoop houses um, and using tarps. Um, and one thing I kind of say to make sure you're watching if you're doing doing those things is they were talking about how during the winter they'll use more translucent, like blue-covered, um, tarps that kind of let more light in and kind of have that, that greenhouse effect during the winter to kind of raise that temperature an extra 10, 15, 20 degrees. Um, but making sure during the summer, it was very interesting. I had never really thought about this to try to look at options for um, switching to like a, a gray or a silver reflective tarp uh, to go on the outside of the uh, hoop houses with like a black um, underside to help provide that extra shade and stuff. And they said it literally was a 10 to 20 degree temperature difference um, in the hoop houses from the time they removed the uh, the blue translucent type tarp to and replaced them with the other tarps, which nice. as we're moving into a warmer 
uh, a warmer season in most of the country. Uh, definitely something to think about because as we get into some of these times where in June, some of the, some areas could be experiencing 80, 90 plus degree temperatures. Uh, we just want to make sure that we're that we keep that in mind as well. That that we're not we we are protecting them, but we also don't want to uh, to cause them to overheat at the same time. Yeah, and that was um, Steampunk Farm. Who does was it okay. That's where I was stuff. thinking it was. Yeah. So if anybody if anybody wants to see pictures of it, it was it is brilliant, and um, Crystal is uh, so fantastic with all these creative ideas. What's the name of the sanctuary? It's uh, Steampunk. Oh, oh yeah, Steampunk. Yeah. Yes, it was a fabulous post. So definitely go go look that up on social media because it it really made me think about um, just the impact that that the type of tarp that you use over top of of your uh, over top of a hoop house or a, a run type area can can make on temperature. That's great. Great point. Um, obviously one big thing, and, and I want to go through this kind of one by one with you all as much as possible. One big thing, uh, that everyone needs right now. Um, I know with the need for PPE, the need for buying additional, um, say lumber and additional wrapping for your thing, for your, uh, for your shelters and additional donations, Donations are always a big deal. Donations are how we are able to to run these amazing sanctuaries and do the things that that we can do. But at times like this, where uh, you have unexpected costs of, of thousands and thousands of dollars at times, um, it's more important than ever. What are some ways that people can help you at this time at your sanctuary and kind of what are your biggest needs? Is it, is it just the donations or there specific ways that you prefer for them to donate? And we can kind of go one at a time and we can start with, uh, with Andrea and, and kind of go through and just say uh, what, what are your outlets that, that you accept donations and we'll make sure to include them in the, in the show notes as well. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we do, we, we do everything for donations, uh, you know, Venmo, PayPal, um, our website. Um, just, I mean, to kind of put into perspective for scale, um, just in less than one month, we spent almost $3,000 on, on PPE, um, the, the disinfectants, and, um, and then we actually set up with a private lab um, we, we bought all of the testing supplies um, so that if we do lose a bird, uh, we can overnight a swab and have results by the next day. Um, so all of those things are expensive. I mean, you know, one, one day I think the, the test was $25 per bird. Uh, the, um, the overnighting was $150 and um, I want to say the testing equipment was $10 for the, the little kit. Um, so, you know, right there, every time we lose a bird for any reason, I, I mean, any reason that we don't know, obviously, um, we, we, do, we do testing. So, you know, putting that in, in scale of, of sanctuaries, you know, it, it's not even just like, you know, oh, we lost a bird or, or we've got an extra vet expense. It's, it's even bigger now. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, just keeping, keeping everyone safe, not putting in the extra housing, all of these extra enrichment activities, 
um, you know, an average sanctuary with 50 to 100 birds is probably going to spend a couple thousand dollars a month on PPE. Mm -hmm. Yes. And what is, well, I know you said your all's website. What is your all's website for those that want to, uh, that want to give you a visit and, and make a donation? Oh, we are brokenshovels.com. Brokenshovels.com. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll make sure we include that in the, in the show notes. Um, Sawyer, what are some ways that they're at uh, Foreverland Farms that they can uh, can help you all out? Yeah, I mean, ditto to everything. <laughs> um, Venmo, PayPal. Um, honestly, it is the PPE we're going through the fastest. And then disinfectants um, by, because we're cleaning equipment. Um things like that uh, at, a, at a higher rate. Um, we have booties on our, the, the boot covers on our Amazon wish list. We have enrichment things on our Amazon wish list. Sometimes people just like to send things instead of money, but uh, either way, those things are being purchased. So that'd be, you know, a huge, a huge help for sure. Awesome. And Sawyer, what is, what is your all's website if, if someone wants to visit there and, and see how they can help? Sure. Foreverlandfarm.org. Foreverlandfarm.org. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Megan, what, uh, what are some ways they can, can help you all out at uh, Lock and Herd? Yeah, thanks. We, uh, all the, all the socials, you know, the Facebook donations, the PayPal, the Venmo, the uh, Patreon monthly donations. We super love that because that just Patreon, helps. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, we just, the, the, the thing that helps us the most is consistency. And so if anybody's interested in adopting a chicken, uh, we've got plenty of personalities to choose from, especially in the bachelor flock. Those roosters are pretty bananas. Um, yeah. And also on our website, which is herd and flock animal sanctuary.org. I wish I had a short one like y'all. We want to say a very special thank you to today's guests. We are so thankful for the expertise that they brought to today's episode. And we hope that you found it as helpful um, as possible and that today's episode will help you ensure the safety of your feathered friends, uh, whether that's at a sanctuary or in a backyard flock, um, just doing our best to make sure that, that our birds are safe. If you liked today's episode, please remember to hit that subscribe button on the podcast platform of your choosing. Uh, stay up to date with all the latest information from our podcast on social media at Sanctuary Life Podcast. And to find out more information about the Sanctuary Life Podcast and how you can be a part of it, visit our webpage at butterflyvalleyrescue.com forward slash podcast. Thank you and have a good day.